All right, good afternoon. Everybody doing okay today? All right, good. You're doing well in the Lord, right? So no matter what our circumstances, we can find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord. We're going to turn to Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 6. The children can be dismissed at this time to their class, and we'll turn to Isaiah 6. Appreciate uh, Brother Mookie Fury, and I've, it's Peary, Peary, I'm sorry. I've pronounced their name wrong for a few years, and a few years ago I switched it, but sometimes I switch back to the PH, uh, so the Peary's, uh, and, uh, and Pastor Andrew the week before. And uh, I love, love preaching, but I, I love listening to preaching as well. Uh, throughout the week, we do that as well. So Isaiah 6, turn to Isaiah 6. Uh, we're going to jump into this text together as we continue this series of seeing Christ in the Old Testament, Christ in the Old Testament, uh, such an important series for us. And it's kind of beginning uh, in our looking at the life of Christ from Christmas to Easter. And so we're backing up and seeing him as he lived uh, and existed uh, from eternity past. And we're seeing some of those on the pages of Tanakh. And then we're going to continue that as we begin Christmas and move all the way to Easter and survey his life as we kind of summarize the Gospels there. All right. So Isaiah 6, before we get there, I do have just a couple of quick things. We mentioned this last week. We shared some testimonies and placed some stones of witness, Ebenezer's, uh, in this glass jar. If you weren't able to do that last week and you'd like to do that, during the Lord's table, we'll have a few moments to share testimony as well. God is so good, and we need to continue to acknowledge that. But you'll be able to share this if I don't break it. No, share this uh, with the rest that shared this and just kind of leave that for 2021 as testimonies to God's grace. And we'll do that every year and enjoy that glass growing and growing and growing as the years progress here. I wanted to share just a quick explanation of this Acts 1.8. I haven't really shared much about this, and I recognize that I probably should explain it just real quickly here. Um, so... Uh, it's hard to do quickly, but I'm really going to try. Uh, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we take that as a principle for our church at the end of the year. Um, there's often a, a focus and, and kind of a, a renewal of people saying, let's be giving. It's Thanksgiving time. It's Christmas time. Uh, and, and people want to be generous. They want to give toward uh, different organizations. And so often we'll have folks that give an, a special gift during the Christmas season. And I want to do that personally. And so last year was our first time that we actually organized that into an Acts 1-8 offering. And what that does is it goes directly toward outreach in three specific categories. It's gospel-oriented outreach in these three categories, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, that's not that we're going to send money to plant churches in Jerusalem, is it? Right? It's talking about our neighborhood. Um, what happened there, if you read Acts, this is actually kind of a, an outline of the gospel progress in Acts. And we're going to discover that here in a few weeks. But um, it kind of shares a principle uh, for churches to be careful about your own community 
and it's gospel health. Um, and so as, as we share this offering, I don't know if it did, any, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we, we say we're going to give 50% to local outreach, 30% to like outreach in our region, and 20% to international outreach. Does that sound wrong? It's kind of like, wait, shouldn't you be giving more to missions, to international efforts? And so I just felt like I need to explain that real quick. Uh, that what, what happens here is the more healthy your Jerusalem is gospel-wise, the more healthy you are able to be internationally. And so um, we have not been doing that in America uh, and we've kind of lost our culture, right? Instead of being careful to preach the gospel to our community, our community has no concept of God because the way God's message is promoted is through his local church. So I, I just have some good friends who are trying to reorganize, reorient churches in this way. Uh, the goal is to have one started in every county in the U.S. I think it's by 2050. Um, but 20 years ago, the, the writing on the wall was 4,000 churches a year were closing. 20 years ago. Now, it's six to 7,000 churches a year are closing every year in the United States. So what's happening is we're spending all of our efforts, all of our money, outside and we've lost our Jerusalem what happened what should be happening is both and when we are we are reseeding our community for the gospel's sake we actually have a stronger base from which to find laborers to send out because that's another problem young people are not submitting to this because young people aren't getting saved because we're not reaching young people right and so as we reach more young people as people commit themselves to international, we have not just resources, but we have uh, people. And, uh, and so this is what this is. That's why we say Acts 1-8. That's why we put the verse there. Um, and that's why that 50-30-20, it's, it's helping us understand. We give a, a, every month, right, to international missions. Uh, but if we're not careful and we lose our own neighborhood, uh, we're, we're, we're going to lose the long-term goals. Does that make sense? I just thought I'd give a little bit of time for that. I'm going to set a goal for us. Last year, we, we had $4,000 given to this. That was huge. And I'm just going to set that out as a goal for our church, okay? And these are just giving above our normal giving. If you would say this last year was really hard financially, then don't give toward it, okay? That's, that's the point, okay? But if you say, you know what the Lord has given me above and I need to give a Thanksgiving offering, then consider giving toward this. Uh, as an opportunity. That's all I'm going to say about it today. Uh, I will probably do a little video that explains a little bit more how each of these categories, what they will go toward in outreach. Um, but I just felt like I needed to share that. Isaiah 6, let's jump in here. Let me read this, uh, and then we'll, uh, tackle the, we'll pray and tackle the text together. Isaiah 6, verse 1. What we'll do here is I'll read... Uh, verses 1 through 3, and then why don't we all read the text of what was happening in heaven, okay? Would you join me there at the holy, holy, holy part? Let's do that. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, let's all read this together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we'll continue reading together. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this beautiful scene. We're amazed at it. We're humbled by it. We are given your vision through it. Lord, I pray that it would do that. It would give us spiritual vision for understanding your purposes, for understanding your glory, and, and that it would be such that it would motivate us forward in our walk with you. Uh, Lord, that as we look around us at the, the difficulties of our culture and our society, we would find in you and your gospel message, uh, the, the, not this, the source of our stability and joy, but really the solution to our world's problems. Lord, as, as our world turns from you, from your gospel message of forgiveness, from the life-changing power of your Holy Spirit, we are doomed to failure. You have said this over and over, and it has happened in every culture. Lord, we, we see it in history. We see it before us, even today. And yet we see, once again, that as you got, your eye, you got Isaiah's eyes on you, Lord, may you get our eyes on you today. May we be lifted up by your power through your Holy Spirit into the holy throne room of heaven. May our eyes behold Jesus seated as King of kings and Lord of lords. We tremble not at anything that Satan might do. In our own flesh we all cower, but through Christ we conquer. We are overabounding conquerors through what he has earned Lord Jesus, thank you for earning that for us. Dear Holy Spirit, thank you for promising it. And I pray that your uh, illumination would be true of us right now. Lord, illumine us. Illumine these words to us that we may understand them clearly. Fill us, dear Spirit, uh, that we may not just preach, but but really uh, understand and do, carry out what you have said to Isaiah. Lord, help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump in here. Isaiah 6. Uh, it's, uh, it's a glorious scene. It is a glorious, glorious scene. Today is another special day. Uh, many of you are Jewish. Um, many in our church are Jewish. We, we live in actually a Jewish neighborhood. And uh, what is today on a Jewish calendar? Hanukkah, right. This is the last day of Hanukkah, the final day. Uh, Hanukkah is a, is a neat time period. Um, about 175 years after the first Hanukkah, 
on a cold winter day, the temple complex packed with people, like kind of think walking around Times Square right now. This is the type of visitation that these celebrations would bring in Jerusalem. Everybody is celebrating the triumph of the worship of Jehovah over the pagan Greek Hellenistic influence of Antiochus Epiphanes. You know the story, 170 BC, he set up a image of Zeus in the temple. He offered sacrifice of a pig and desecrated the temple, forbidden worship in the name of Jehovah for families with their children. He is a forerunner of the Antichrist. There was a group of hammers the Maccabees that were raised up and actually through guerrilla warfare overthrew this Syrian army. To this day, it celebrated the victory. At that time period, at that time, Jesus is walking through this actually happy festival on the Jewish calendar, walking through the portico of Solomon, this porch, and he is kind of jumped <laughs> by these religious Jewish leaders, and they say, "Ask, tell us plainly. No more beating around the bush. No more speaking in parables. Right, so here's the temple. This would be this spot. Like, so you could see, this is just packed. This is in the court of the women, um, but, but a, lot of, uh, a lot of people coming in and out right there. Um, Gentiles, right? This is uh, uh, what, what, whatever. Um, Jesus responds clearly to their request. Will, will, are you the Messiah? I told you I am, and you don't believe me. The works that I do that all point to me being the Messiah in my Father's name testify of me. All right, so he's like, of course I'm Messiah. But he goes beyond that, doesn't he? Look at what he says next about his father. I and the father are one. Here he is claiming oneness, one essence. There is the person, God the Father, the person, God the Son, the person, God the Spirit, and they are one essence, one God, one being. Three persons. And here Jesus is claiming this. How did that go over? Not real well. Uh, they're ready to kill him again. Um, but that was all a part of God's plan. Uh, I, I think we, we find here on Hanukkah, and that's why I like giving this message on Hanukkah, we find a text that clearly portrays this to where they could have anticipated this happening if they had been reading Isaiah. It's funny, last night I was actually, I actually I was just standing there waiting for Sarah to pick me up, and I had three commentaries on Isaiah under my hand, and, and they started singing the Hanukkah song, and so I went and sang the Hanukkah song. I was like, this is just so cool, uh, because if they had seen Isaiah, uh, they would believe. But there is a reason, and Isaiah talks about it here, so let's get into it. There's a reason they don't believe. I am just going to read this quickly. We've reviewed this before, so if you need this more, you can go and study on yourself. We're going these Christophanies, these pre-incarnate. What does that mean? Somebody yell it out. Come on. 
We're all friends. Incarnate, right, before, and specifically, flesh, right? Before he took on human flesh, pre-incarnate appearances, these Christophanies. Old Testament is filled with pictures, prophecies, and portrayals of Christ. So he confronts those who did not see him, because beginning at Moses, they spoke about him. He often claimed to pre-exist. Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am, ego eimi, the name Yahweh. And there's, of course, you know, throughout John, many of these. Uh, the Old Testament claimed he preexisted, Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. This is Messiah. His goings forth are from long ago, from eternity. He has been going forth, he has been coming forth, but he will come and be born in Bethlehem. Two, some of the most astounding ref references to these are, are called Christophanies, okay? I love these. You see him as the angel of God, angel of the Lord, uh, references to God appearing and interacting in person, so sometimes they're not even called angel of the Lord or angel of God, they're just recognizing, oh, this is, this is, this is Jesus. And then we'll do this one, oh. In Christophanes, the shadow of Christ in the Old Testament takes on the form and appearance. Not substance, and we'll make that clear. This is not that he's incarnate yet. Uh, that has not yet happened, but he is appearing. And I think of this too, like um, Moses. Do you remember Moses and Elijah when they appeared at the transfiguration? Did they have bodies? No, they didn't because they had not yet resurrected. But they appeared. Uh, as Moses and Elijah, right? So this is something that evidently you're able to do uh, through God's power. Uh, think of that with Samuel, too, as he appeared to Saul, right? Um, now, this is not happening now, right? So don't look for uh, ghosts in that way. That's not what this is talking about. This is Jesus before his incarnation. Okay, number three. These Christophanies must be Christ because in them, the text says God appears and only Christ is the appearance of God. Okay, so this is the logic behind this, the reasoning behind this. Pastor Andrew did a great job of summarizing this in the introduction of his sermon two Sundays ago. Appreciate Kate's uh, article this week. Uh, is Kate's downstairs with the baby? But um, that, that just, just shows the Old Testament teaches that Jesus is God, right? And so the, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, is the visible expression of the invisible God. We see that throughout the New Testament. Appearances of God in the Old Testament, then, must be Christ, uh, would be the, the conclusion we're coming to with these. Okay, keep moving. A heavenly scene, a heavenly message, a heavenly reaction. Isaiah 6 is a little different um, in that it is not a scene on earth. And so this would be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, but it's not a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus on earth. As we'll see, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in heaven. All right, so let's look at this heavenly scene, first of all, uh, in the, the timing of the scene. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. The heavenly scene is during the reign of King Uzziah, Actually, right at the end, this puts us right around 730s, late 730s B.C. 
King Uzziah or Azariah had ruled in southern Israel or Judah for over 50 years. It was a time of prosperity. It was a time of blessing. He was a good king. But as often happens, when leaders follow God's hand, there is prosperity. And what happens often when there is prosperity, they stop following God. They become proud. And so 2 Chronicles 26, 16 says, But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. Think through that as we continue to read Isaiah 6. So this is devastating to Isaiah, who worked carefully with him, but it's also devastating to all of Israel. He's been struck with leprosy, waiting to die, living in a house separate from everyone, uh, as, an, as a very clear strike that God is no longer blessing this king. Now, in the north, things are even worse. Assyria is about to come down and destroy the northern tribes of Israel for rebelling against God's purposes. So it's even worse up there. It's just a very difficult time in world history that Isaiah is living, that he ministers. And so as we read this, really, you can think what you're going through in world history, yeah, very not small, but similar as far as the rise and fall of kingdoms, difficult political turmoil, um, people running away from God. This is what's happening in the time of King Uzziah's death. Now look at the nature of the scene. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his throne filling the temple. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, the Lord, he sees the Lord, right? This is term of respect of a ruler, a king, uh, the Lord himself. It's not the term Yahweh, uh, but that comes later. Um, but this is the Lord, uh, this master. But I think he's using that to contrast Uzziah. Uzziah's rule, when he tried to enter the temple, the earthly temple, leprosy. Here is the Lord standing. And he's standing in a temple there. His train fills the temple. But, but we see here a heavenly temple. This is the temple of the presence of God himself. And this is difficult to understand because this enters a different realm. It's fascinating to me. I don't understand all about it. If you're taking notes, you could write down a few references here. 1 Corinthians 2.9 um, we, we don't understand all, right? Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into our own heart all that God has prepared for those who love him. So, like, it can't enter your heart, everything that's about this other realm. But we do get some pictures into it. Job 1.6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. All right, so there's this, this court where, where there's actually reality happening. Ezekiel describes this same expanse. Revelation, we just had Dominic read about it in Revelation as well. Ezekiel 126, above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne and the appearance like sapphire. Seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. 
Right, so there is this heavenly spot. Where is it? I don't know. <laughs> um, since this time, we've really begun to understand that we don't know what's all out there. Right? I mean, we still, it, it just, I'm not going to go through the details, but it blows our mind to think of the stars beyond what we see, the sun. It's insane. We cannot conceive of all that's out there. But we do know that there are times where God opens up time and lets them appear into what would not be the first heaven or the second heaven. The second heaven will be all the stars, but this third heaven, the presence of God. Acts 7, verse 55 through 57, Stephen, being full of the Spirit, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So here we see Jesus there as the appearance of man. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 4. He says, I saw, I know a man who was caught up into a third heaven. So that's why we say this is a third aspect of this concept. Not just what we see here in space, not just the heavens above, which would be all the stars, but this third dimension of heaven. Hebrews gives us a little more information about this, that, that in the very spot where it is, it seems to be, like Isaiah 6 here, a, almost like a temple-type feel to it, where God is. In fact, he says in Hebrews 9, 24-25, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, which is a mere copy of the true one, but Jesus came into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So it's saying that heaven itself, there, there's kind of a feeling of what we get to be what that would be like when we enter into the, the, at that point, tabernacle, but the temple itself as well. And so here we actually enter the temple itself where Uzziah could not enter or he'd get leprosy. We say Isaiah, Isaiah being ushered into it. That's the real meaning of the background here. I'm not going to get into it, but it may be that the, in the eternal state, is when God actually allows this spot to come to the new earth. Um, okay, you could do study on that if you want. Uh, the persons in the scene. Let's go to the persons in the scene. Uh, we find I. Who is the I? Come on. I'm trying to keep us all awake here. Isaiah. Good, good. It's right in your Bible there. Isaiah is the I, right? And so he's the prophet of God, works closely with kings, and just a little bit, Samaria is going to come down and try to destroy the southern kingdom, and Isaiah is going to work closely with the king to overthrow Samaria. Christ did not enter a whole, I'm sorry. So the persons, I and then the Lord. Who is the Lord here? I heard it here on the front row. Jesus. Bingo. This is why this is a Christophany. And for me, this is why I came into, I, I wanted us to discover this together as a church. It was this passage. Because as you're reading your Bible, as you're doing your, your annual Bible reading, you find Jesus all over the Old Testament. But you have to know your Bible. And as you know your Bible, say, wow, this Jesus Christ is no longer just a baby in Bethlehem. This gives a whole new meaning to Christmas. 
Look at him, really? And then you understand, this is amazing that he would humble himself and be born to homeless parents living in a, in a donkey's trough. How low can you go from this scene? This is the amazing thing about Christmas. It's not 20% off. It's this amazing, amazing truth that God has emptied himself 100%. Isaiah, the Lord, and I just, I, let's just do this. If you have your Bible, you need to put this cross-reference there if it's not there. And just go with me. We need to take a minute with this. Turn over to the Gospel of John. Because I'm not just saying this. I'm not just winging it. Right? A lot of commentaries... Whatever. They, they, they all have to acknowledge this. Because John, in the Holy Spirit, through the writing of the Holy Spirit, says this plainly. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. Because this is what God says in the Bible. John 12. Right? Jesus says this. He says... that. These books were writing about me. Jesus said that, okay? And so we find in John 12 a very clear reference to Isaiah. And, and this is a little discouraging because as we continue to read Isaiah, if we have time, we're going to find out what this whole passage is about, which is not as comforting. Um, but it is amazing to know that Jesus is in control. Um, Lord, actually, I'm just going to start with verse 38. Lord, whom has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah again said, verse 40 of John 12, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Referring to Jesus. Right? He's, he's talking about Jesus. He referred to him. But whose glory did he see? Jesus' glory. This vision of Isaiah 6. And so that, those all caps there or the quotes there you'll see those verses in Isaiah 6. As Isaiah is seeing the glory of God, he is seeing the glory of Jesus. Why don't they believe about Jesus? These things Isaiah said about Jesus because he saw his glory, Jesus, and he spoke of him, Jesus. Nevertheless, many, even the rulers in Believed in him, Jesus. Same antecedent all along there in John 12. So this glorious Jesus is the one that we are seeing in his pre-incarnate state. And as Stephen sees him, he sees him, it's the same appearance. In fact, Jesus for a little bit allowed the disciples to see his glory as he was transfigured before them. Who, are, who else is in the scene we need to keep moving real quickly here because there's an, the, the reason this text is important we have to get to. Verse 2, uh, who, who else is in here? The seraphim. Who are they? These seraphim stood above Jesus, uh, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Right, what is the spiritual meaning of that? Is that talking about some crazy thing today? No, this is talking about reality. This is what's happening 
least at that point. I don't know if they take turns. But we know that there's these angels. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1, angels worship Jesus. Why don't you? Right? Is the point. Is his point. Here we have angels who are created to worship Jesus. Now, we're, they're worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that. They're worshiping God. But one is crying out to the other, and they're speaking glory to Jesus. I, I really appreciate this because in our, in our neighborhood, some of the church buildings that are built up uh, have false teaching regarding this. Jehovah's Witness, uh, they, they, they will deny. They'll say, well, Jesus is a son of a God. Yeah, yeah. What is this saying? Jesus is God. Jesus is Jehovah, right? Here they're worth, the angels are worshiping him. It's so clear. And so we have prayed against their influence in our neighborhood. And this is one of the blessings of COVID. Uh, every time I walk by where they're passing out literature, I would pray against that. And then they're no longer there. Isn't that great? That is an answer to prayer. Uh, you know, one, one positive, right? Danny, you've been praying about that for many years too. Um, okay, we need to keep moving here. These, these seraphim, well, that, that means burning one. Uh, so there's these glorious burning ones who are, who are spirit beings who are created individually. And so this is, we can't get into all what angels are, but, but they're just created individually for purposes and many different purposes. Uh, but this purpose is to glorify God. Each one an individual creation. They don't procreate in that way. Glorious thing, a glorious place, a glorious person. We need to look at the heavenly message here. One called out to another and said, this is the message of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? If you regard it or not, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. Their message is that he is thrice holy. It is a thunderous speech crying out the glory of God's holiness. He is holy in nature. Yes, sinless. That's what we think about we, maybe when you think about holy, holier than thou. We think, well, this guy is just really, uh, doesn't make any mistakes. But it really has the, the, it has the uh, connotation of uniqueness, separateness, holy vessels, holy uh, place. And so God is a holy person, nothing like him. We cannot conceive of this one God, three person being. He alone is like this. He is holy. Um, separate from sin, yes. Unique, though, is the idea. Unique in mercy, unique in grace, unique in justice, unique in purity. Nothing is like him in any of these things. He is the ultimate essence of each of these. When you think of who is loving, what is loving, the essence of love is God. Right? You cannot get any more loving than him. You cannot get any more just than him. You cannot get any more. So he is the perfection of all of these qualities. That is holiness. And so as you think of how, is, how can I describe this God, it's like each of these come, can't completely describe. So you have to just say holy. He's unique and great and, and the perfection of all of these qualities is our God. And so before him, night and day, this is what is being cried, this is what is cried out. Holy, holy, holy. I loved singing that with you today. 
unique in his personhood, unique in his character and his qualities, unique in his mission. I do think we, like, just two sides of this that he gives here. Um, He's unique in that he is above us. He's transcendent. And so he's holy, holy, holy as the Lord of armies. It's like there's no way we could even fathom getting close to him. But then he gives not just his transcendence, his imminence. He's with us. He is God with us. And so the whole earth is full of his glory. You see his beauty as you look at a rose or a tree or a human or a human eyeball. Like this is amazing what God has done. You look at the universe. The whole earth, the whole world is full of his handiwork. Amazing what God has done. But we need to keep moving on. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Yes, above us. And yet he does not stay above us. He's not a deist God that just kind of winds us up and lets us go as we please. No, he is going to give himself to us in a manger. And so he comes to us. The whole earth is full of his glory, but even in the holiest of places, it trembles at his presence. Foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. And so just understanding in this context, you understand Isaiah's feeling of unworthiness. I mean, the king of Israel tried to come there, the earthly shadow of this place, and he was struck with leprosy. Isaiah said, why in the world am I here? I don't deserve to be here. And so we see the response, heavenly reaction. This should be all of our reaction today. This realization uh, gives us a proper view of God and a proper view of self. Look at there in that text, Isaiah 6. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. This is just needs to be all of our perspective. As we think about our society, we shouldn't just think of, well, those people are so wicked. Tim is so wicked. The wickedness goes deep into my heart. Isaiah had it right. When we get a good view of God, we say, I am unclean. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Why? Because I have seen how holy this King of Kings is. This Lord of Lords is. And so we too need to get to this point where we recognize I am unworthy There is no way I can make myself come clean enough to be like God or accepted before God. I, I have to have someone clean me up. Isaiah sensed it, and he had gone to the temple himself. He knew that that shadow would not clean him. And so he needs, like all of us, a cleansing Our universal problem is our sin, but our universal solution there is verses 6 and 7. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from where? An altar. We need an altar. It's the same as true today. We need an altar. We need something that was sacrificed on an altar to be applied to our being, to ourself, to our innermost heart. 
applied to his lips because his ministry is going to be one of proclaiming, preaching. But he touched with, took this element from the altar, touched his mouth and said, your, your iniquity is taken away. Your sins are forgiven. And so you and I can have this same thing happen. We can come into the Holy of Holies, not just in Jerusalem, not just the holiest place in human history on earth, but we can enter the third heavens now because Jesus himself came and was burnt on the altar of God, giving of himself, actually coming, Hebrew says, into the heavenly itself with his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Because of that, we can, by faith, appropriate it, touch our lips to the altar of Christ, and we can have forgiveness as well. And if you have that forgiveness, you have the greatest gift of all of eternity. Total freedom from guilt, from the penalty of sin, and you have a, a standing before the Father that is in Christ. So that just as Jesus can always come into that holy of holies presence, his children who are bought by his blood can come at any time into that holy of holies presence. So when his people do cry out about world-shaking things like King Uzziah's death, like your governor, like whatever's in your heart that feels like it's, boy, yeah, Tim, it's, it's not Samaria coming down to destroy me, it's the electric company, or it's right a, a, a renegade child, or it's cancer, or it's whatever the issue is, you can, in, in Jesus' name, come into that Holy of Holies and find all the power of heaven. Amazing, amazing truth. Well, we need to, to finish here. I, I, just, I feel like sometimes we share this message and we end with verse 7. And we need to end. I need to just end in three minutes. But um, we have a proper realization at the glory of God. Sometimes we just feel like, I think that does put everything in place. We recognize, okay, yes, the earth has fallen. I should expect people to live like sinful lives until they are changed from the inside out. I understand why my neighbor may try to really make me angry. Because they're a sinner too. I understand why a politician may walk, act very wickedly because they're sinful too. And they need Jesus to change them. I understand why I am sinful and I need Jesus to change me. So, so what is this looking at the glory of God and the solution being forgiveness through the altar? What does that have to do with how I should live today? What does looking at the holiness of God do with how I should live today? I think often we go to the application. What will be a first application? Let's just open this up. What is one application here of looking at God's holiness? Anybody want to shout something out? Worship. Awesome. And that's what we're doing here, right? Worship. Right? Let's bow before. And so that happened to John. That happened to Isaiah. Right? That happened to Ezekiel. In each case, as they looked at the glory of God, they didn't come rushing in saying, you got to do this for me, God. They said, I don't belong to be here. I am on my face. Worship. What's another thing looking at the holiness and glory of God? 
me specifically is holiness. As he is holy, what are we to be? Holy. right? Be holy as he is holy. And 1 Peter shares that. And I think that's another primary application that we get to. Lord, give me grace to live out this changed life. Sometimes my life does not mirror your life. Where does God take Isaiah with this? What does Isaiah say in the next verse? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? This message is so important. This reality is so essential that we cannot sit by and say, We made it, right? The world's falling apart, but we're okay. Send me, Lord. Yeah. How can I be? It's, it's, a, it's a time of enlistment. The glory of God is worship. The glory of God is the life change, but the glory of God is enlistment. Send me, Lord. Others need to see this picture of your Lord. They're just living like, like the, the governor of New York is glorious. Like, like this ruler in Russia or this ruler in China or this ruler in America is glorious. They, they are so mistaken to think that this is what's happening. No way. Their eyes have not been opened to the fact that God throws down kings. He sets up kings. He is the king of kings. He's on his throne and he is all holy. And so we are enlisted in saying, Lord, here am I. Let me just, let me just share as winsomely, as graciously. Send me anywhere you can to do your bidding. And so the glory of God becomes a enlistment to service. Lord, I'm your servant. Woe is me. I don't deserve to serve you. I don't deserve to be your mouthpiece. Purify me, clean me. I need so much work, Lord. But here am I. Send me. And then he sends him. And he does. Great way to end. Because in the story, in the context, he's sending him to where they're going to say no. And God says, I realize they're going to say no to you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. But you still need to say it. You still need to be sent. And he still goes. And so our responsibility as those who have been changed by the glory of Jesus, looking at who he is, is not necessarily that everyone will change, but we need to at least voice. We need to at least be sent. Um, and, And I think all those other applications are important But in this text, the glory of God gets up and walks out that door and is a Christian. It it becomes witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live this out. We we are so so selfish. Oh, Lord, we, we read all of the headlines with self in view. We we think of all these stories just about ourselves. Lord, help us to get a view of Isaiah and look at your glory and be changed to think about you. Lord, Lord, to be excited about Christmas because more people are looking at your glory. Not because of things we might get for ourselves. Lord Jesus, this is all about you. Forgive our community for setting up buildings that deny your name. Lord Jesus, I know you will destroy them one day, these buildings that are set up in idolatry. 
Lord, help us to be clear with your message of truth. For many want to steal from your glory. Many want to add it to their glory. How silly. Oh, Lord, you are all glorious. And even now, we, we know we, in one sense, enter into the throne room of heaven spiritually. And we just confess again, we are unworthy. I am unworthy. Every moment I would deserve eternal damnation because of every moment's sin. But Lord Jesus, I praise you that you have taken every moment of my eternal damnation and you have suffered for it. And so I don't have to say, woe is me. I can say I am blessed, eternally blessed because of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that each person in this room or listening online would, would find themselves truly blessed, conscience forgiven, having no fear of death or judgment or guilt because of Jesus. Lord, may we all enter your presence with fullness of joy now because of his sacrifice on the cross. But Lord, as we look at that glorious truth, having been forgiven, having been cleansed, having received that forgiveness, we, we do get off our knees because you've allowed us to. And we say, Lord, send me. Lord, give us, give us mission. May we be Christians on mission for you. May we take that great commission and apply it to ourselves this week, not just to the Bolins or the Seawrights, Lord, but to ourselves. And may we see your glory in our lives consistently and that spread to someone else in our community. Lord, we can't do it. We can't do it. I can't do it. Lord, you know. You know that. And so I just ask that each of us, Lord, you would enable us. And so we ask for your spirit's filling, for his grace to leave enlisted as servants of Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me encourage you to continue that prayer in your heart. I hope it would not be a prayer of rejection, but a prayer of reception of this truth. That you would bow the knee to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. I give you my life. Here am I. Send me into my accountant office, into my plumber's office, into my wherever you are tomorrow. Here am I. Send me.